Well, obviously, I, I've taken the mic first, so I'm, I'm obviously the best, obviously. Um, I'm the best Trevor there is, yeah. I'm the best Trevor Lloyd there is, and Nathan's the best Nathan Corfee there is, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we thought today we want to do some intergenerational preaching. So you can compare it to what we've compared it to tag wrestling. Double act, whatever. Who knows what might happen, huh? Double act, whatever. But we're into intergenerational preaching. Uh, you see, we've started already. Look at that. He's serving me. Um, by the way, um, I'm, I'm the older one, just, just, in case, uh, just in case you're wondering. Um, and I want to say older. In fact, let's take old out of it altogether. So with the more mature, seasoned one, uh, that's, that's, that's what I am. Yeah, apparently. But you know what, folks? There are those whom society would like to drive apart, but they belong together. And that's men and women, people of different cultures. And it's also true of generations. Society would divide us, but we belong together. And so we want to be a demonstration of, of things that could be or would be divided, actually flowing and functioning together as we, as we share intergenerationally. And really, that's our, that's our heart this morning as well, is we want to talk about holding two things together which are seemingly opposite. You remember I've quoted to you G.K. Chesterton, the way we deal with furious opposites is to hold them both together furiously. We don't, it's not either or, it's both and. Today we want to talk about the cross, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And in, just in case some of you are thinking, hang on, you're mixing up your seasons, Trevor, we're coming into Christmas that's the Easter message. Do you know what? Even in the, in the story of the nativity, when the angels, or I think it's Zimeon prophesying over Mary, or whoever it is, says, you know, he will pierce your heart. In other words, you get a sense of what's coming in Easter, even while we're approaching Christmas. But we want to just share about the death and the resurrection. And by the way, it's not going to be, oh, Trevor will focus on the death part, you know. And <laughs> thank goodness Nathan's coming up in a minute. He'll do resurrection. No, you know, you've got to hold them together. Paul says, I want to know Christ, both the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Elsewhere, he says to the Corinthians, he says, you know, the, I'm carrying around with me the death of Christ. Why? So that life might be revealed in you. You have to hold them together. Again, things that we might want to drive apart, they have to be held together. Cross and I believe that's the heart of the Jonah journey that Nathan's been sharing about. It's, it's not just about, you know, um, going down into the depths. It's about in those depths, something productive is happening. Something is being shaped and formed. The womb, sorry, the tomb is the womb. We're going deeper in order to go further. You've got to go down in order to go up. There's these seeming opposites which are always held together in the kingdom of God. This is why, you know, by the way, it's, it's fully human, fully spiritual to hold together grief and joy. As we've experienced already today. Yeah, there's pain and there's grief and there's sadness, but there's also joy and there's hope. And, and it's not either or, they're held somehow together. You know, if you go on Facebook, I know not everybody's on Facebook. But if you go on Facebook, there's um, a limit to the emotions you can express. It used to be that it used to be that if you, when I say all you got was like or, or dislike, presumably, you know, now you can now you can love, 
Or you can, wow. Or you can, ha, 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 ha. Or you can get sad, or you can get angry. But you can't, you can only do one of them at once. Am I right? Or am I missing something here? You can only have one emotion in response to it. It's not like that in the kingdom. It's possible to have both grief and joy at the same time. How many of you, let's start here. How many of you think God's happy? Put up your hand if you think God is a happy God. He is, it's true. Paul, right, just in case you weren't, just in case you need a text to prove it. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11, Paul talks about the glorious gospel of the happy God. I mean, the Bible has to be a bit more religious, so it says the blessed God. But it just means, it means happy. That's what it means. The gospel, the good news of the happy God. God is a happy God. Here's another question. How many of you believe God's heart is full of grief? Can't look at the world, can you? With the poverty and the injustice and the sickness, people dying unnecessarily of poverty, the injustice in the world, his heart is grieving. He knows joy better than you can ever know joy, but he also knows grief deeper than you can ever know grief. Why? Because he created all this and he knew what it's meant to be like. And he knew, knows what it should be like. So the heart of God is full of joy and it's full of grief. Jesus was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and yet he was also anointed with the oils of joy above all his fellows. How do you get that? You can only do this, hold them together in the spirit. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hold together as we look at the cross, both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Both the, gre- the real grief and the real pain and the real sorrow, but also the hope and the joy. And it's, it's not kind of, oh, goodness, we will get through that and then we'll get to that. No, Paul says, I want to know both the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The, the cross is, of course, first and foremost, it is the revelation of what God is like. You see, the, the power of the resurrection demonstrates that the kingdom of God has come. But the love that is displayed on the cross, the kind of love that is displayed on the cross, tells us what the kingdom is like. This is the kingdom not of power. Many of them look for a Messiah who would come and, 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 and overthrow the Romans, this powerful warrior type king. What did they get instead? A baby born in a manger. There, I just got seasonal for you. A baby born in a manger. A Messiah who was called a friend of sinners, who touched the lepers, who spoke to the prostitutes, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, who was finally crucified on a cross. That's our king. And it shows us what his love is like. That he died for us, even death on a cross, the most shameful execution that there was. Such is the love of God. And by the way, John tells us that's how you know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. And what does he say straight away after that? And we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. The cross is both... A revelation and a summons. It's a revelation of what God is like, what kind of a king he is, but it's a summons to us also to live that kind of life of love. I want to talk just very quickly about a, a particular aspect of that, this love. And that is something that Ruth shared last week that really just stirred this within me. You see, I believe that you, 
you see on the cross a, a, a dimension, an expression of the love of God in a particular way. You see the compassion of God. Compassion literally means to suffer with. Could you just put that picture up for me, Paul? Let me tell you a little bit about this picture, this cross you're going to see in a moment. If I can find just some brief notes I made about it. Everybody see that? Anybody know what it is? It's called the Lampedusa cross. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. There's a little island in the south of Italy. Lampedusa, is that right? Anybody can tell me if I'm any different? Lampedusa. On the 11th of October, 2013, refugees from Eritrea and Somalia were trying to make it over to Europe in a boat. These stories were well known to us just a few years ago. 311 of them were drowned. The residents of Lampedusa managed to rescue 155. The carpenter of the island wondered what what could he do for these 355 who had died, who drowned, trying to escape, trying to get to freedom. What he did is he made crosses out of, this is one of them, a cross made out of the wreckage of the boat in which they had been traveling and gave them to all those who survived. Pope Francis took one of these crosses to the memorial service for those who had died just a few months later. And this one you can see in the British Museum. It's called the Lampedusa Cross. The reason I want to show it is, for me, this is such a beautiful expression of exactly what the cross is about. The cross declares to you, I'm not a God who stays on high, waving a magic wand to try to make everything right. I'm not the God who just sends down a big book of answers for you. I'm the God who comes right to where you are in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your pain, and I suffer with you. That's compassion. It literally means to suffer with, passion to suffer, come with, to suffer with us. That's what the cross declares. I haven't got clever answers about why does God allow suffering. When people ask me, where was God when those people drowned? All I know is he was with them. Because that's the kind of love he has. It's the love that suffers with us. It is compassion. Nathan. And it was the compassion at the cross, the passion of the cross that caused what we have today. So the freedom that we have, the joy and the peace that we can experience is all because of the cross. And at that cross, Jesus died once and for all. At the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. And in that moment, it was finished. Death was conquered. Sin's curse has lost its grip on us. And now the kingdom of heaven is open and free to all of us. And in that moment where we declare Jesus is Lord, in that moment we become a new creation. Where the old has gone, the history is gone, and the new has come, and the destiny is here. We experience life because we have been crucified with Christ, so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And yet Jesus says, take up your cross daily. And you think, hang on a minute, Jesus. Hang on, you've just said about how once and for all the death is gone, the new has come, we're living a new life, and you're saying, take up your cross daily? And yet Jesus is talking about the kind of lifestyle he longs for us to have. You see, there are two types of death. There's the kind of death where life is stolen from you. 
And there's the kind of death where life is given by you. And that's sacrificial. And that's the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to learn to live in a constant state of sacrifice. Learn to live in a constant state of sacrifice. Everything you do, everywhere you go, every person you're with, live in a constant state of sacrifice. Give all you can. That's what Jesus means when he says take up your cross. Or part of what he means is live in that state of sacrifice. Give what you can. Give of your money. And we saw it this morning. We saw this incredible picture of children skipping up to this blue thing and just putting money in because they have felt so compassionate for what they heard. That is sacrificial living in action. And the amazing thing about it is it gives life. There's always resurrection at the other side of the cross. Give your time, give your efforts, give your prayers, sacrifice in everything you do and you will experience the love and compassion and grace and peace and joy that is yours already in Christ. Learn to live in a constant state of sacrifice. The problem is the culture that we're a part of is a culture of fairness and there's nothing fair about grace. It's amazing, but it ain't fair. (laughs) Kids are obsessed with fairness. That's not fair. I want this equality. I remember when uh, I was a kid and we'd watch my mum pour in the sunny delight, which we're only allowed once a month because it's bad for you. And scientists have proved that. But I remember watching my mum pour it in and just making sure that it was exactly equal to my brothers. And if there was a slight drop more, I'd be saying, that's not fair. But grace isn't fair. Grace goes beyond fairness. Grace is all about passion and love. It says, I know I did the dishes three times in a row, but you know what? I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, because our relationship isn't about fairness, it's about grace. And that's the relationship we have with Jesus. And if we want this vision of no division, then it requires us to be people not just of fairness, but people of grace, who go above and beyond, who do what Jesus did on the cross, take up our cross daily and say, I'll give it all. And I won't count up the times I've done it. I won't count up the times you didn't do it. I'll just lavishly bless and experience the blessing of God in doing so. If you want a good marriage, base it on fairness. And you'll have a good marriage. You know, you'll split jobs equally. I'll do the dishes. You do the the bins. I'll have a lion this morning. You have one next morning. And that will be a nice, good, safe, easy marriage. But if you want a passionate marriage, if you want an incredible marriage, if you want the kind of marriage that people are in awe of, then base it on grace. Don't just base it on equality and kind of sharing it up. Base it on lavish love. Base it on the fact that I know I've done the dishes three times. I'll do it again and again. I know you had a lion last night, but you can have another one. That's the kind of uh, marriage that God calls us to have. The kind of marriage where we're constantly trying to outdo each other in acts of love. I love what Trevor just said about passion meaning suffering. Think, I want a passionate marriage. That means you have a marriage of suffering. That doesn't sound too good. (laughs) But that's the essence of it. It's not suffering. Sacrifice is different. Because it brings life and it brings in resurrection. There's so many things I can sacrifice. There's quite a few things I can sacrifice. And I think I'm all right at it. And I can give up my time and I'm happy to do that and give up certain things. But the one thing I find difficult to sacrifice is sleep. Now I've got two children uh, and they are both under the age of four. So sleep is something I don't get a lot of. And I thought before that I could handle not having sleep. 
But it really is a kind of a torture for any parents who know this experience. If you've got kids, some of you, I don't want to talk to you who have kids and they sleep right through the night and you tell me about it all the time. Like, oh, my kids slept in from, from day, th- I think, I don't care. <laughs> I'm talking to the real sufferers. <laughs> the people who have experienced sacrifice of sleep. Because you know in that moment that your head hits the pillow. It, they know it, the kids. I think that my kids are just waiting until they know my head's just hit the pillow and then they'll start crying. Or they know that they'll take it in turns and tag team. I'll take tonight, you take tomorrow night. You get some sleep and then I'll sort them out and then we'll swap over because we don't want them to rest. And when you've not had sleep, you become this other person. In the middle of the night, I, you know, Leanne is amazing and she does most of it because she's far better than me. But you know, you'd like to think you wake up and say, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll sort this one out. I, I, it's no problem. You just get some sleep and, oh, you look so lovely when you're sleeping. I'll just, these kids are so beautiful. I can't believe we made these children. That doesn't happen. <laughs> you grow fangs and hair and, ah, it was, mad. and then you run into the room and, and, but it's those moments of sacrifice for me where I've sat in Jude's room and I've held him that I have had the greatest encounters with Jesus of my life. It's in those moments of sacrifice that I've experienced God and his presence like never before. Seen things, heard things at two o'clock in the morning that have astounded me. And even last week, I remember hearing God, two weeks ago, I heard God say to me that sacrifice creates a vacuum for glory. Sacrifice creates a vacuum for glory. When you give of yourself, when you give of something selfish, when you give of something that's yours, it creates space in your life that God can't help but fill. And he fills it with the glory we've been singing about this morning. The empty tomb. You know, the uh, the, the tomb wasn't empty, by the way. It was empty for like maybe a split second. But if you read the accounts, when Jesus left the tomb, the angels were drawn in. There was an angel sat at the head of where Jesus' body was. There was an angel sat at the feet of where Jesus' body was. There was an angel sat on the stone that had been moved. The angelic was just drawn in by the sacrifice. That's what happens when we sacrifice. You can expect the glory of God to fill the space that's been made by your sacrifice. And by the way, they were sat down because they were just so easy. Because Jesus has done it all. They could all just sit now and bask in the glory of God. And that's our job. We sit and bask in the glory of God. You know, the glory of God. I love um, Richard's definition of it uh, a couple of weeks ago when he said it's the wow of God. It's anything that makes us say, whoa, about God. And that is what it is. It's the resurrection power of Jesus at work in the world. The resurrection power of Jesus at work in the world. The Bible tells us that the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That means resurrection power flows through your veins. The power to heal, the power to bless, the power to make a difference. Resurrection power, resurrection perspective, seeing things from the other side of the cross, not seeing things just as they are, though you see that and you bleed and you, and you cry with that. But you also see it at the other side of the cross and you see a resurrection perspective of what God has as well. That's what it means to know the glory of God in your life. Learn to live in a constant state of glory. Everywhere you go, have the perspective of a child and say, wow, God, I can't believe you made that tree. Wow, God, I can't believe I woke up this morning. Wow, God, this tea is amazing. You know, have that perspective. It's yours in Christ. We learn to get grumpy as we got old. 
I'm learning it over time and I'm getting grumpier and I'm choosing to do that. But you know what? You don't have to be. You don't have to accept the fact that when you get older, you get grumpy. When you get older, you get pessimistic. When you get older, you become just safe and easy. No. Choose resurrection life. That's why Jesus loved spending time with kids. Because he saw something of himself in them. He, they see the wow of God like Jeanette was bringing us previously. That, that amazing, um, that amazing uh, quote that she showed us. Learn to live in a constant state of glory. And you think, hang on a minute. How do we stay in a constant state of sacrifice and stay in a constant state of glory? Like Trevor was saying, there's something going on here where the two are inextricably linked. There's a great verse in the message in Matthew 11, uh, verse 20. Have we got that, guys? Maybe I've put the wrong one. Take that one off. I've got a better one. (laughs) Yeah, this is it. Uh, Are you tired, worn out? Burnt out on religion. (laughs) Some of you saying yes. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that part there in the middle. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There is a rhythm to grace. The kind of grace that Dan and Ruth were talking about so fantastically last week. There is a rhythm to grace. And that rhythm is death, resurrection, death, resurrection, sacrifice, glory, sacrifice, glory. It's about not just holding things tensely, but about dancing as Trevor's been telling us about. It's about this rhythm that you catch. Yeah, I've been working on this. Uh, <laughs> learn to catch those rhythms. They're not something that you can force. They're unforced rhythms, but you catch the rhythm. And the way you do it is you fall up into the rhythm of God's glory. You fall up into the rhythm of sacrifice. It's not something that you try to make happen. You just accept the love of God. You accept that you're a child of God. You finally allow God's love into your life, and then you catch those rhythms. And you allow those rhythms to dictate the very rhythm of your life, the very rhythm of your heartbeat, the very rhythm of your day. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. It means learning those unforced rhythms of grace and allowing it to just completely radicalize the structure of your life. Because his yoke is easy, his burdens light. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There's such lightness in it. You know, when we talk about death and we talk about resurrection, it sounds heavy and it sounds intense. But it isn't. The way Jesus did it, it isn't. It's just about life. Jesus learned this rhythm far before he went to the cross. He learned the rhythm of death and resurrection in his life. And if you read the accounts of Jesus, there's such an ease to him. I love it. I love the way he just walks around easy. He walks around free. And in that freedom, in that rhythm, he learns what it is to sacrifice. He learns what the glory of God means in his life. And he learns how to hold those things, not just in tension, but in ease as well. I hope you've held on to something there, Nathan, because you're building up to a big finish in a minute. Okay, so uh, I, I, I felt, though, did you not feel that he had a kind of 
he was appealing for fellow sufferers there when he was talking about, you know, not being able to sleep at night time with the kids. He was, he was looking for compassion for those who would suffer with him. I love what he says about sacrifice making a vacuum for glory so glory can rush in. I want to say compassion is what releases power also. Anytime you see Jesus in the Gospels moving in power, it will say it was because he was moved with what? Compassion. And therefore he healed the sick or whatever. So just as just a sacrifice, a life of sacrifice leads to glory. A life of compassion, which means to suffer with, to sacrifice, leads to power. Resurrection, power. This is why they must go together. I hadn't planned on sharing on this. I've not got much more. I haven't planned on sharing on this, but something this morning told me I needed to do this. Sacrifice. You know, it's easier to sacrifice when you trust in resurrection. It's easier to sacrifice when you trust in resurrection. It's not by the way that you are doing it for something, because then it's hardly sacrifice. But it's easier to do it when you trust in this rhythm of death and resurrection. So the story of Abraham and Isaac, where he sacrifices his only son. And, and by the way, this can lead to a distortion of understanding about God when we talk about Abraham being asked by God seemingly to sacrifice his own son. It's not because God believes in human sacrifice. Quite the opposite. There's a subtext there that's saying, actually, because at the time of Abraham, they did believe in human sacrifice, many of them. And God was saying, no, no, you don't sacrifice your loved ones. The Lord will provide a lamb. And by the way, if you ever want to see where these are, Combined death and resurrection, look in the book of Revelation and look at the Lamb of God who is standing though slain. He's, he's experienced the death, he's experienced the suffering, he is slain and yet he's still standing. That speaks of res- resurrection. Even in heaven, even in the, the, the figure of resurrection, there is also the signs of suffering, the held together. But a Lamb was provided. But it's not until you get until the New Testament, until the, the book of Hebrews, where you find out that Abraham was able to be prepared at least to sacrifice his own son. Why? Anybody remember why from the book of Hebrews? It's because it says this, he believed, he trusted God that he could resurrect, that he could raise his son from the dead. He trusted in the promises of God, that the promises of God would be fulfilled through his son Isaac. Therefore he reasoned, even if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead. My friends, it's, if you understand what Nathan has described as these unforced rhythms of grace, these rhythms of death and resurrection, it's easy to sacrifice. It's even easier to have compassion if you realize that this is a gateway for power. It's easy to sacrifice if you really realize that this is how glory rushes in. Sacrifice leads to glory. Compassion leads to power. And I just, this is the thing that I felt God put on my heart this morning. I believe it's for at least one person, possibly more. Do you know that well-known verse where it says, unless, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces many. Notice it it didn't say it'll produce more. It says it'll produce many. There's at least one person here is holding on to something. A dream, a promise, a hope of what might be. And God's requiring you to let go of it. To sacrifice it. I I don't know what that will mean for you. It might not be giving up on something completely. Just in your heart, you've been holding too tightly onto it. You've got to let it go. 
God's saying it, it will produce many seeds. If you let go of it, it will produce many seeds. Not the dream will get bigger or the dream will get better, but it will produce many. That is something which at the moment is just something you are holding on to. It's yours. It's my dream. When you let go of it, it becomes a much more inclusive thing. And actually what you end up doing is you release other people into their dreams. And it's multidimensional. And it's manifold. Because it's not just you and yours, it's us and ours. And I believe there's people here today, at least one person that God's really put heavily on my heart. Let go. I, 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 I get this, you know, I understand that. I've been there. Let go. Because when you let go, much more is resurrected. Not just for you, but for the many. Amen? Now, now um, just one last thing on compassion before I hand over to Nathan for the big finish. But uh, the, thing that, the, the thing about compassion, it really is about suffering with. And what really spoke to me from Ruth last, last week is the importance of being able to sit with somebody in their suffering and not always saying, oh yeah, it's going to be fine. The tendency to want to fix it or point to an answer too quickly. But just to say, I think that's, and I believe, Nathan, I, we need to be praying about this. I believe as we go into 2018, God is going to be showing us the missional implications of the Jonah journey. An aspect of the Jonah journey is to be able to, because we've experienced suffering, we're able to sit with people in their suffering. And I think God's going to break us into whole new dimensions of mission and community transformation if we learn this principle of compassion, of sitting with people in their suffering. Why did Nineveh, Nineveh, why did... Jonah have to go down the Jonah journey because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to share the grace of God with others. How does that happen? You're a prophet of God. He said, no, I don't want him to have grace. No way. But that's what happened. In order to learn a journey of having compassion on others, he had to be taken on this Jonah journey. What we've been learning about ourselves, we've got to learn about mission and community transformation. And the thing about being able to sit with people in their suffering, not quickly saying, oh, yeah, I know it hurts, but there's an answer. Or, but there's a hope. Or, but you'll get through it. Sometimes, you know, it's not but. Because what the but does is it devalues what they've just said. Introduce an and. I was reading something recently talking about the tyranny of the but and the genius of the and. A but to says, oh, well, it's really something. But I'm sure it'll get better. But I'll get there eventually. No, no, no. This really hurts at the moment. And I know there is hope. There's a difference when you put a, an and rather than a but. And we've got to learn to do that with one another. And we've got to learn to do that with people out there in our town. Actually, they're not just out there. They're in here as well with us. And we're intermingling, praise God. But that compassion, that ability to suffer with people, is going to release us not only into new dimensions of impacting people's lives, but release us into new dimensions of power. But some, for some of you, you've got to let go of that thing you're holding on to. And God is going to produce much more through it. It's easier to sacrifice when you realize he's a God of resurrection. He's a God of resurrection. Nathan, I've set it up for you there. Go for it, mate. Just on the back of what Trevor was saying there, there's, there's somebody here, and I believe that, who is at that place. I believe there's somebody else who's kind of a step beyond that, and you're somebody who has already laid a dream down. And you've already laid something down and said, I'm willing to sacrifice this. And God is saying to you, it's time for it to be resurrected. It's time to take it up, not as it was, but in a new body. 
something radically different and you're going to experience something that you never could have experienced on your own because exactly what Trevor said, it will be part of a, a dream that is ours, not a dream that's just yours. You know, it talks about resurrection in the Bible. It talks about having a resurrection body. And that means you look different and you sound different, but you're the same person. And sometimes when you lay things down, you pick them back up and they don't look like what they looked like before. Because there's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Resuscitation is just the same thing it was before and you put life back in it and it stands up again. That's not the kind of life Jesus is talking about resurrection is you're brought to life and that you are radically different to what you were before. You are a new creation. And I love that verse because it doesn't say you're a new man or a new woman or a new person or a new human. It says you're a new creation. You're something the world hasn't seen before. You are the wow of God. You are the glory of God on display. You no longer have the excuse of I'm only human after all. That's not your song anymore. Your song is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You are the hope of glory. The hope of glory. That means the world is watching us saying, come on, sons of God, daughters of God, we are waiting for you to be revealed. Come on, sons of God, come on, daughters of God, we are waiting for you to show us what the glory of God looks like. People are waiting for people to walk out of this building and display the glory of God. Now, the glory of God is multifaceted. It doesn't always look like what we think it looks like. Resurrection bodies don't always look like what they used to. It might be that it looks like healing. It might be that it looks like encouragement. It might be that it looks like a hug. It looks like so many different things, but it's the glory of God on display. It's the love of God on display. And so God wants us to experience resurrection life. He wants us to know resurrection life, which doesn't mean bringing back from the dead. It means coming into a new state of glory. And for many of us here this morning, God wants to take you into a new state of glory. Not looking back at the past and saying, I wish it were like that again. Not looking back and saying, remember those days. Remember what we used to do. Remember when we started. Remember how passionate we were. Remember when we used to have this. Remember when this used to happen in meetings. Remember our house group. Remember when we used to do this. Remember, remember, remember. God says, lay that down. Stop it. Because something better is on its way. There's new birth. There's resurrection life. And when you get there, you will still remember. And it's important to remember. But not look back with nostalgia and say, if only. But you look forward to the future and say, it's coming. Because that's what Jesus says in Revelation. He says he is going to make all things new. All things new. It doesn't just mean he's going to repolish it. It doesn't just mean he's going to restore it in the way we think about furniture. He's going to actually create something completely different, yet it has the essence and DNA of what it was before. It's incredible to think about. And it's hard to get your head around. But God is taking us into a new place. And it doesn't look like the old place. It's something completely different. And for some of us, we need to lay that down. We need to lay down our history of the glory days. Oh, remember this. Remember when I first was baptized in the spirit. Remember this. Lay that down. And when you do, you'll experience resurrection life. God doesn't want you living in the past. God doesn't want you gangrenous, if you know what I mean. He doesn't want you just kind of festering on what was. Holding on to old relationships. Holding on to old uh, kind of work that you did. Holding on to what it once was. Lay that down. 
Because otherwise all you'll do is you'll just live in the past. And there's no life there. But there's life right now. And God wants to breathe life in you right now. Right here, there is experience to be had. Lay it down, sacrifice it, and you'll experience dream where there once was just memory.